most esteemed countess, you magnificently lofty spirit, how I suddenly sense so powerfully your presence, now that I have made the decision to ease my soul and leave a secret in a place that can hold it without constraining it. For this morning, your image came to my memory as if drawn up on threads from dark light by angels. In this hour you are as close to me as a house in which, as a youth, I spent many days. I feel as if I had been allowed to walk once more through this familiar casing of life, until I am shown the exact place where the secret I have brought with me can be deposited, to remain there and live as befits it. Well. May you smile, noble lady, at this presumption that makes me an intruder upon you, albeit one who comes bearing a gift on this occasion. Make use of your inalienable privilege of being above poets' secrets and the flailing intimations that follow in their wake. Yet remain well disposed to me in the magnanimous way that is your birthright and whose existence has magnified the air I breathe since life showed me the favour of revealing you to me. You will recall well how, some few months ago, I sent you a festive letter, one could almost call it an epistle, a letter completed while I was yet in the heights of Muzot, in which I gave you news of the allergies' completion. I do not doubt that you will remember the significance of the event. How mistaken I would be if our pulses did not beat together that day. Perhaps the echo of that message I sent out reverberates once more in your memory. But of course, you remember my call to your friends, stunned by gratitude, that the number was complete, the noble ten, the holy decade whose vessel I was during years of waiting ripening and silence. And now, most esteemed noble lady, I must summon the audacity to confide in you what I have called my secret. I write down the following confession with a thin, exhausted hand, with a hand that withdraws in shame, even when it gives, that I finally utter it, so that it might thereafter rest in your smile. The allergies were not ten in number, but eleven. Oh heavens, now it is written. I searched my heart in vain to find explanations for this awkward superfluity. When the verses came to me, I wrote down in a storm, like one beside himself. All that I fancied was being dictated to me by earnest angels. And yet once those feverish weeks were past, I gazed upon the work with less burning eyes. But however I counted off the divine series, there always leapt out one more than the providential ten. <sighs> Noble lady, Forgive me if this disclosure strikes at your innermost core. 
I can scarcely bear the thought that this shared secret might give you a heavy heart. I assure you, it is impossible that you should be caused to suffer by what you learn from me. Consoled by this thought, I present you, and you alone, a copy of the surplus poem, the eleventh. I know no other soul in this world to which I could so confidently entrust these orphaned verses. For what are souls? What are friends if they are not also sanctuaries for lost poems? Show these lines to no one, or only to the rare few who come close to your heart. Should it so happen that a lonely and unique spirit encounters you, one who hungers for that inner reality whose late witnesses we will have been, you will understand in an instant what is to be done without betraying your conscience or the poem that is now your silent guest. Think of me some violet evenings when you wander the cliffs and the pull of heaven lightens your feet and be full of the sensation that someone is close to you more quietly than ever, namely, your RMM. <clears throat> to stand forever beneath self-built roofs is to be the prisoner of a freedom that is past. The starry sky Oh, we have sent it home. We have sent it home to a distant God who already rues having loved us. In his stead we built arches of pride and caution. Where braces were once spanned between the stars, there now stands the frameworks of bold iron art. Glass without secrets represents the high blue. Handmade walls prop up the horizon, as if the universe would end where the works of men reach their limits. Now even for humans there are only bars, and no world behind millions of bars. Once, albeit outside in the old open that grew around us over millennia, where no engineer had more power than a small animal which feels the dominance of the open whenever it follows the nearby tracks. Outside, I say, and back when it was the pure truth when the verse spoke to me, through all beings extends the one space. I found all things there sworn to be together, all that is swayed imperceptibly in its place by the same breath. And like a wind that has left the house of summer to bring the richer autumn, existence for one another went through the bodies of separated things. The space, the one, ruled as the glorious assembler, the most communicative God who handed out souls to everyone. As gifts are scattered among the crowd at princely weddings, so that the poorest can take home their share, breathing like twins, the farm woman's shoes stood in front of the darkened room. 
The hammer was still warm from valuable work when it lay in the workshop at night, no different from the sickle which glowed quietly with usefulness long after the harvest until winter. On every working morning, soul flowed from the handles of the tools into the hands of those who shared their dwellings with such quiet household effects as weathered men share their beds with the unspeakable scent of their compliant woman. But now a fate has driven us out of the ensouled. Everything bought, I called out, threatens the machine. We live in a machine, and inner things have become the same as the outside, as if the soul were but an exhaust fume, irksomely pouring from a loud engine. Things curl up in themselves, buyable and cold, like sick girls who have forgotten what love, flowers and seasons are. Where once lived souls, insolence has moved in. The ominous animals hang, cooled off meat, disappointed in the display cases. These high living things, the earlier accomplices of our existence, have ceased to look at us, so that we now lack the witnesses that could have sworn in silent wakefulness that we, like them, are alive listening so far, so far inside. All that lies scattered in the brightness of the hall now bears a single price, each object enclosed in its soullessness. Each thing cries out to us how young and important it is, as wanton as cheapness feigning expense. <laughs> the thing today no longer finds its owner, for to be buyable means having forgotten how to belong to the living. And buying means lightly inviting things home. Like guests for a single occasion whom one greets, uses, and never regards again. <laughs>